From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. That deep sorrow we feel when someone we love dies is called grief, and sometimes it feels overwhelming. Grief is a universal experience and at the same time, very personal. Here to talk about the grief felt by caregivers is bereavement counselor Susan Bacharick from the Hospice Grief Center at Hospice of Central New York. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. So we're talking about caregivers specifically. What, who are the caregivers? Well, the caregivers can be anyone. Um, a lot of the individuals that access our um, grief center at hospice um, could be an adult child that's just lost a parent. It could be um, a, spouse, a spouse, a spousal loss. It could be um, a parent who's lost a child. Okay. It could be a loss of a brother or a sister or any relative in your family. So someone who's been taking care of someone who's been ill and, and approaching death. Exactly. For days, months, years. Exactly. Okay. Sometimes it could go on for 10 years. So let's talk a little bit about why um, individual people react to the loss of someone in different ways. Grief is different for everyone, right? It is. And um, one of the major factors that you need to look at is the relationship. Um, when you lose a spouse, is different than when you lose a parent. And um, you, sometimes when you're caregiving, you put your own needs aside and you put all your energy into the caregiving. And this can take a toll on you physically, emotionally, and cognitively. Such a toll that you might not even realize it while it's going on, Exactly, right? yes. Okay. So... Um, what what kind of advice do you have to offer to someone who's a caregiver of someone who's approaching death? Is there something they can do um, to help prepare for that? Well, one of the things they need to do is to find a support system. It's important to reach out to others to see who else can help. You don't realize what a toll it takes on you until after the caregiving's over, and then you realize how drained you are. But you also realize that you've lost your purpose. You know, your purpose was caregiving for this individual, and now you ask yourself, what is my purpose? I can imagine if your day is filled with caregiving chores and, and errands, and, this, and, and all of a sudden you don't have any of that, you, I imagine people could struggle. Right, because you put your own life aside. And so it's important to not isolate yourself and to try to have a fairly normal routine and not take it on. Um, okay. Well, um, what is the one thing that caregivers are looking for when they, when they come to you and they're seeking counseling for their loss? Well, is one of the things they ask us in counseling is, you know, I feel like I'm going crazy and um, I'm feeling numb. And these are really normal reactions um, to their grief, whether it's the impending loss or the loss has happened. Um, we try to validate their feelings and we try to find, have them find a way to embrace their loss because it is a huge absence in their life when this person dies. So what is the counseling like? Is it group counseling that, that you offer? I find that the group counseling has been the most effective when you're with a group of people and you all are 
experiencing the same type of loss, whether it's a spousal loss or parent loss, you have this connection with these other people and your feelings get validated by them as well. And I do think that's important. A lot of people ask, how long am I gonna feel this way? And when you're sitting in a room with, you know, eight, 10 people, and they say, I'm three years out or I'm four years out and this is how I'm feeling, um, I think that helps you realize, well, maybe I'm not gonna feel like this forever, that it will change. I'm not saying it's always gonna get better, but it will change. Well, and it also, a group, I think, would help remind people that they're not alone, that exactly. this is not a unique yeah. thing that yeah. you know other people have yeah. gone through and survived it and gone on. And a lot of times when you've suffered a loss and you've been caregiving for a long period of time, you do lose your social circle of friends. They go on with their lives. And you feel isolated after the death. And so connecting with other people in a group um, you build new relationships. And I can honestly tell you most of the groups that I've run, um, and a lot of them are spousal loss, they stay connected afterwards. That's neat. And that's a nice feeling to know that you've done that for them. This person understands how they're feeling. They're not telling them how to feel. And, um, and it feels safe for them. So it's sort of a different kind of support than you might get from your family exactly. or neighbors or right. that are Be kind, but yeah. Yeah. just kind of a different level, yeah. it sounds like. Yeah, a lot of times they say, I know exactly how you feel, but they don't. Unless you've been through it, unless you've experienced it, you really just don't know how they feel. And sitting in a room with people that really truly understand how you feel um, is healing. Neat. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with bereavement counselor Susan Bacharick from Hospice of Central New York. Um, I wanted to talk about triggers. Um, triggers after a, after a caregiver has lost their loved one. Okay, well, triggers are not just dates on the calendar. Triggers can be sights, sounds, smells. You might hear a song on the radio. You might be driving by a restaurant that you used to go to all the time, and all of a sudden you feel this flood of emotions, which is normal. It's a normal reaction, um, but it also reminds you of your loved one, and you feel like you've just taken 10 steps backwards when you thought you were doing so well. But emotions are normal, and they can hit you anytime, anywhere. Um, I had a friend of mine who said she was standing in the post office one day and all of a sudden the wave came and, and hit her and she just dropped everything and walked out the door. And that's okay, you know, it's, 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 it's natural. So there's sort of no predicting. There's no predicting. We always talk to people about having what we call an escape plan. There's gonna be things that are gonna be coming up, social events, whether it's with family and with friends. And if that wave of emotions hits you when you're at this, whether it could be Thanksgiving dinner with the family, you just tell one person in the room that if that happens, you're just gonna get up and you're gonna leave. And would they please let everyone know you're okay? You just need to leave. And that way you can exit that social situation gracefully without having to explain why to everyone in the room. 
I think I mean, when we think about triggers, certainly like holidays would mm-hmm. be a big one mm-hmm. that you could mm-hmm. anticipate mm-hmm. a little bit. But it's interesting, you note that it could be a song on the radio. It could oh, yeah. be um, a smell. Yeah. Now, is, do the triggers um, happen more uh, abundantly soon after the person passes? Or could these triggers go decades into the future? Both. 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 Yeah. I, I still get triggered. My mom died two years ago, and um, I still get triggered. Mm. Well, um, let's talk about some rituals for healing. Okay. And not, not necessarily to say to get rid of the triggers. No. I mean, the triggers are, are there, right? A ritual is a way to remember and honor this person because they're always going to be a part of your life. They're not physically here, but they're going to be a part of your life forever. So rituals help you to remember this person and keep them in your life. So some rituals could be um, lighting a candle, keeping a journal, planting a tree or or a a flower garden. Um, Some of the other things you could do is listen to their favorite music, um, create a photo album, um, or even just sit around and tell stories about this loved one. Some people are action people, so they set up a scholarship in this person's name or participate in a charity or a run, or they give gifts to or donations to a hospital or a nursing home. All these are really healthy, healing ways to honor your loved one. Okay, neat. Are there things that um, friends or families can do to help in your healing? Well, they can acknowledge that everyone grieves differently. So they have to go through this at their own pace. It's really important not to tell them how to feel. Don't offer them advice. Don't judge them if they're not going through it fast enough for you in your comfort level. Um, and don't, don't say the words, I know exactly how you feel, because they don't think you do, and you probably don't. Um, So it's important to be a good listener, to be sensitive to what they need, to recognize that this person's life has changed forever. And if they need something done, then do it for them and don't wait for them to ask you. I always say there's three important people to have in your life after someone dies. A listener, a doer, and a distractor. The listener will just listen to you and not offer any advice or or be judgmental. The doer is the type of person that can help you get your tasks done, even if it's just mowing the lawn or going grocery shopping. And that distractor is that person that can take you out of your grief, even if it's just for an hour or two, because you can't grieve 24-7. So those people are important, too. And you might surprise yourself of who who steps up. Who to be steps those. up? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Are there um, are there times when a, a friend or family member should be concerned about someone who's grieving? Are there red flags to look out for, or how well, do you know when their grief is normal and when it's something to be alarmed about? Well, some people tend to isolate, and I do think that can be unhealthy. Some people try to. do a quick fix on their grief and bury their feelings. 
Um, some red flags could be excessive drinking, um, use of uh, non-prescription medication, um, and isolation. Okay. Um, anything else that the caregiver can do that would be helpful? Well, as we mentioned earlier, it's important to connect to people who understand how you feel. And I, I do think that um, this confirms that your loss and your reactions are universal. And as we said, Hospice Grief Center offers one-on-one -on -one counseling. We offer the support groups, and we're trying to do more specific loss groups. We're finding now that there's a lot of loss of an adult child. So we're going to start forming groups about that. And um, especially around the holidays, we do holiday talks because that's a difficult time. We do holiday workshops. Um, we do workshops for kids as well because we can't forget they're grieving too. Sure, absolutely. Um, is there anything caregivers can do as they're anticipating, you know, the loss of their loved one that they're taking care of? Are there steps that they can take before the loved one passes that will help ease, I don't know, ease the transition into being alone or? Well, listen to what your friends and family are saying. They can sometimes recognize something that you need that you may not need, might not identify needing. Um, a lot of people feel, I can do this, I can do this. I know exactly how. And they don't want to let go of that role but they need to sometimes, they need to take a break from it. So try to take you know, advice of families and friends when they say you need to get out of the house today. Neat, well good advice. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. My guest has been Susan Bacharick, a bereavement counselor at the Hospice Grief Center at Hospice of Central New York. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.